This is Museum People, a podcast that celebrates individuals connected with the museum field by highlighting their work, passions, opinions, and personalities. In each episode, you'll hear stories and viewpoints from a variety of museum people, unsung workers to executive directors, volunteers to trustees, as they help change the world one visitor at a time. And now, the hosts of Museum People, Dan Yeager and Marika Van Dam. Marika. Dan. We're back. Surprise. Well, (laughs) today's a special day, I think, because uh, we're going to talk about the National Park Service and specifically the 100th anniversary. Hashtag find your park. Yeah. Find your park. I've been using that hashtag for the past year, every time I go to a site. Right. National Park Service, where do they fit into the museum landscape, do you think? The Park Service is, I think, when you look at them, they're the largest holder of collections that, you know, in the United I've States. I've learned this. Yeah. They have, yes, millions um, and millions, second m- only to the Smithsonian. Yeah, they have very large collections and very varied collections as well. So um, the Park Service is actually very near and dear to my heart. It was my first museum job. Ah, uh, yes. All right. So tell <laughs> us about that experience. Um Yeah, so after I graduated college, I joined AmeriCorps VISTA, and I moved to Alaska. And uh, I didn't quite have enough to do as a a VISTA volunteer, so I started volunteering with the Park Service. Mm. Uh, They had a a great site there, Sitka National Historical Park. And when uh, my VISTA ended, I had non-competitive eligibility. Which what, is, what is that? So that's when um, you can bypass, you get a certain code and you get to bypass all those levels of hiring ah. um, within the, the government. Yeah. Um, so I was sort of bumped up with like, I don't know, veteran status or something wow. so that I could, I could get in there. And it also meant that they could hire me for a short-term job and they didn't have to advertise for it. So they could just hire me. Wow. So that was really awesome. Um, and so I, you jumped the line basically. Rightfully so, right. I like okay. to think. Right. Okay. I, had, I had three months' experience <laughs> working for the National yeah, right. Park Service, <laughs> and um, that, that was my museum education, um, and I enjoyed it so much uh, working there. It was, it was such a great experience because, um, yeah, like, you know, you come to a place like Boston, and there's so much competition and so many collections, but when you're in somewhere like Sitka, Alaska, there aren't a lot of people who are doing that kind of work. And I just had opportunities. Like there I was handling um, native objects. I would go to meetings with elders and sit around and we would tell our stories. And it was like mind boggling. So the park was focused on the indigenous culture. It was that. And it was also the Russian heritage Mm. of the area. So it was a really interesting mix. How many visitors did you get there? I don't know. Um, I was behind the scenes, so I didn't oh, okay. interact with the public. I was a museum technician, right. GS5. GS5. Um, a lot of bureaucracy. I- <laughs> <laughs> Since you were behind the scenes, does that mean you did not wear a uniform? I did not wear a uniform, and that was awesome because those uniforms are terrible. So when I moved to Boston... <laughs> she said it. I didn't. <laughs> they're very scratchy. When I moved to Boston, I, got a, I also got a, a temporary Park Service job working at Salem Maritime. Uh-huh. Um, which, oh, I just, 
I dream on these summer days. Right. I dream about my job that I had in Salem. So I was museum technician there also, but then they started to run out of money for me. Mm. So they said, oh, do you want to do interpretation? And then once I did interpretation, I had to wear the uniform from, mm. from then on. Yeah. Even when I was dealing with objects in a hot storage room yeah. um, with no air conditioning in the summer. How do you look in the hat? Um, I think there's maybe one photo that exists that my mom took. Oh, we have to get that. We're going to put that on the museum people Mom, webpage. hide it. Hide it. I actually, I don't think my mom listens to the podcast. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll find it. I'm sure the, the internet must have something. <laughs> it's got all your dark inside. <laughs> well, I like to see that um, the Park Service is starting to branch out in what it actually declares as a park. Uh, they are, in fact, trying to diversify. Uh, I, I noticed that one of the newest units as they're called is the stonewall inside in new york city which um, gave rise to the lgbt movement uh, back in the 60s mm-hmm. and that's a little edgy that but i think it's representative you know of a new it's not just famous white people it's so true and i think it's this general movement away from preserving the physical thing and letting the stories come later instead we have these monumental events that happened and there's there needs to be a place where we can go to experience it and understand it mm-hmm. and that's that's what the stonewall yeah is like. right I guess the question to you is, should there be more national park sites? Or if there are many, many more of them, do they sort of dilute the experience? No way. More the merrier. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's hard because anytime you create a site like that, it's like when you take something into your collection, you have that ethical and legal responsibility to maintain it to the highest standards. So that applies, of course, to the Park Service. And we, the taxpayers, are the ones footing that. So right. that's something we always have to consider. Um, but... If things can be preserved, these ideas and these places, they should be. Although, as I'm saying it, we have this debate of too many. Yeah. You know, saving. It, I guess the the Park Service in its traditional model, like, should we be collecting more houses of, as you say, mm. rich white people? Because those are the kinds of things that tend to stay around. Um, I, I don't know that that's the best way, but acquiring sites that relate to these monumental moments in history like stonewall yes absolutely and those are the things we should be exploring our interview subject today is laurel racine who is the director of cultural resources at the lowell national historic site and um laurel uh, is interesting because she is i think maybe the first person to have actually scored an interview through our email channel she actually contacted us and said hey you know something you ought to do something on the national park service 100th anniversary and i said oh okay great laurel you're the person (laughs) (laughs) there you go but i thought it was it was interesting because i had thought a little bit about okay maybe we should reach out to the superintendents and get some sort of official statements and you know Kind of the the tenor of museum people, though, is to actually interview museum people, not necessarily the the big shots, right? So, uh, but she was very, um, very open and forthcoming about her experience, and very enthusiastic about the Park Service. Nice. My name is Laurel Racine. I'm a curator for the National Park Service. I have uh, worked with the Park Service for 15 years. 
Most of that time I've been at the Northeast Museum Services Center, uh, which is a regional office serving 80 parks, Maine to Virginia. Uh, more recently, I have been on a temporary assignment, which will become permanent, uh, here at Lowell National Historical Park. Uh, I am the Chief of Cultural Resources here, and my um, responsibility is for the curatorial collection, the historic objects uh, and archives, as well as the exhibits, mm. uh, including uh, the uh, museum exhibits and also the weave room on the first floor, which is our, our signature exhibit. Right. So day to day, what do you do here? Yeah, well, that's part of what's exciting about working for the National Park Service is that uh, there are opportunities to reinvent yourself and learn about new sites. And um, yeah, so I've been here since May and um, I feel like I've been learning uh, some of the, the nitty-gritty of what goes on here at Lowell, uh, but also working at the 30,000-foot level, right. uh, learning the community. How are you finding Lowell? I love Lowell. Yeah. I love Lowell. Um, this is uh, probably the third urban park that I've worked in. Yeah. I, I've been in New Bedford, uh, Boston, and Lowell, and I, I really, I was not sure exactly what to expect, but I, I love it more than I think had anticipated. Right. So when people think about a national park, they typically think of wide open spaces and vistas and uh, urban national parks are a little bit different. How do people react when they come here? I, I, I think that they are surprised. They might not realize that there is a park here. Uh, I, I think that's common uh, that people, they, they think of uh, the Grand Canyon and, and Yellowstone. Uh, that's what they're expecting. Oftentimes people will say, is there a national park in Massachusetts? Yeah. And there's actually 15 of them here. <laughs> uh, most people are within an easy drive of a national park. Yeah. You know, when I'm traveling and I, I go to a destination, I see there's a national park there it immediately establishes that, hey, i got to go see this. It's sort of this badge of credibility. Yeah, the Park Service does have a certain cachet to it. There's a certain expectation of, of a ranger in a uniform and that you're going to get a quality tour, um, and they put a lot of stock in the, um, the information that they get right, on those right. tours. In a place like Lowell, especially, uh, the Park Service seems to play some kind of an economic development role. I know that the history of the the park here was really, it was uh, created in a time when Lowell was absolutely flat on its back economically. And were it not for the Park Service, I wonder what this community would look like. Yeah, I, I think that is uh, helpful to think about. Uh, when the park was created, there really were three areas uh, that uh, were part of that legislation. The indu industrial history story, the immigrant story, and then there was also development um, mm. included in that. And that's why at the beginning there was a commission uh, to work here in Lowell, because development is not exactly what the park service does. So it was about finding partners uh, to work with to accomplish the goals. And I, I think that they've done very well with that. I want to say that there's six million square feet of space mm -hmm. in mill buildings downtown, and 90 to 95 percent of that is developed today. Right. Do you find that, that the Park Service uh, reaches out to partners and collaborators and so forth in communities like this, not just Lowell, but other, other places? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's essential in all of the urban communities, um, that the Park Service cannot... 
um, have thousands of acres and be self-contained, that we are within communities in, mm-hmm. in all of these urban parks, and it's essential that we have partners. Also, that's the economic climate that we're living in, um, right. that we can't afford as an agency to take on all of the cultural institutions in a city and, and, and run them ourselves. Right. So there are all of these uh, partnerships that, that make it, it it's seamless, um, but people from different institutions are all making it happen. Right. How do how do you become a national park? I mean, if I've got a community that's historic and in need of, you know, revitalization or whatever, and boy, we want a national park here. How does that happen? Well, it really does happen often at the grassroots level uh, that, that somebody in Lowell or if it's somebody who thinks that Booker T. Washington's birthplace should be a park, they will um, gather uh, support and uh, a park can be established by Congress or also by the president. Mm-hmm. The president creates national mm-hmm. monuments um, through the Historic Preservation Act um, of 1906. Yeah, it started um, with Teddy Roosevelt, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's interesting because it really does start with a grassroots effort. It moves upward. And then once uh, there's enough momentum, um, it, what we've been focusing on lately, though, is diversifying the types of national parks we have. Um, to to better represent the the history of this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like one of the most recent ones I read about was the Stonewall Insight in New York that's City. That's right. That yeah. is. That's the 412th uh, unit of the national park system. Um, and I think that that is going to be a collaborative effort. I, I haven't heard a lot about it. And there's um, probably a gap, too, between being established as a park and then being fully up and running as a park. And mm. each one has an individual planning history and story. Uh, so it, it, that's what's been gratifying about working for the Park Service for some time is right. is visiting different units and, and finding out the different stories. Right. So you are our official National Park Service representative uh, on the Museum People podcast, and I want you to tell me a little bit about what's happening with the 100th anniversary uh, and how that's impacting visitation, the way people look at the Park Service, and what you all are doing. Well, this is something that the Park Service has been ramping up for for several years. You know, we've known that this was coming. And um, every park really is doing something of its own. And the idea is that it will be captured in national calendars. So if you're traveling the country, you could plug in the destinations or the parks that you're going to and find different activities. Um, this month uh, is, there's going to be a lot of, lot of activities. Uh, there the, is the date is August 25th? Founders Day is right. August 25th, yeah. so that's a Thursday. Um, so uh, here at Lowell, we're doing a small observance with a flag raising. Uh, Congresswoman Nikki Songus will be here, um, so there'll be a, a press conference followed by a concert, and then our big day, day will be on the 20th. 27, mm-hmm. where there, there will be a walking tour for a couple of hours with the superintendent, and then um, there will be family activities all afternoon. Right. But it, it really is meant to be a, a year-long celebration. Um, the idea is to highlight um, the national parks um, and to generate interest that will last for many years to come. Right. Um, right. In the Park Service, we're um, trying to uh, reinvigorate interest in the national parks. Um, I, I think with many cultural or natural institutions, our, our visitation has been suffering mm. uh, a little bit. Um, but 
we have definitely seen an uptick uh, this year. Um, I think there were 307 million visitors last year, and there's even more this year. Mm. We're trying to attract millennials, uh, make sure that they're not just um, seeing them on their their website, that there's still a reason for them to come here. Uh, Where we are flagging is... um, with uh, diverse populations, um, trying to make people feel as welcome as possible, uh, to make the parks as relevant to them as possible. In terms of the the workforce of the National Park Service, though, how diverse or not is it? Do you know the demographics? Uh, It is mostly white, uh, more men than women. Hmm. Um, And that's not for lack of trying, uh, but we are working through... um, the the federal uh, process of hiring, uh, which is very complicated, and I think that that uh, is is a hurdle for right. for us to get over for applicants to get over. What is the Park Service doing? Do you know to address the issue of diversity of the workforce? Well, there is a um, whole division at the Washington office and then branching out into the regions and even in parks, uh, focusing on relevancy, diversity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's effort going in that direction. Um, I, I think that people are still trying to figure out, you know, we recognize there's a problem, but what then are the action steps to take? Right, right. How do you, how do you recruit Anyway, how do you get young people involved? Well, uh, there is the Pathways Program. That's a federal program um, that seeks out um, current college students and recent graduates um, and brings them into the workforce. Uh, The challenge has been, though, that we have been successful in bringing people into the Pathways Program, but then um, there are not always permanent positions for them to Mm. then move into. Right. but we need to start filling that in because we're going to see the greatest amount of retirements that we've ever seen. So yeah. there's going to be what they're calling this brain drain of a mm. lot of people retiring and not enough people coming in. Uh, so it, it, it's something we're concerned about. Are those pathway jobs paid jobs? They are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Really? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We actually have several uh, paid. There, there's the Pathways Program, which pays very well. Um, there are also what are called SCA interns. There are a variety of internship programs. Mm. Um, well, that's good to know. And also the the brain drain idea. It seems that there's a great deal of frustration in the museum field generally that uh, especially those in leadership positions are staying longer than they ever have because we're living longer and we need to <laughs> keep earning and, you know, for whatever reason, and mid-career people are finding it frustrating because there's just not a lot of movement. But you're saying in the Park Service, you're anticipating that happening. Is that because the Park Service has more of a bureaucracy and you are encouraged to retire at age 65 or something? No, I, I think that people just are reaching uh, retirement age all at once. Mm. Um, I, I, this is just my observation it seems like we had a lot of hiring say at the bicentennial 1976 hired a lot of people um and most of those people have stayed you know Mm -hmm. the mission is good um people have enjoyed their jobs they're staying longer as you're saying um i'm part of generation x you know Mm -hmm. we're a very small generation you know who who filled in a little bit uh but i think a lot of those people who entered the workforce at the same time they're going to be retiring at the same time and uh what what the federal government is not always 
good at doing. Um, you're, you're not guaranteed uh, if you're working in one park that you're going to be able to move up within that park. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a little bit like the military where you're expected to move from park to park in order to move up. Right. Um, so uh, that, that transfer of knowledge is, is tricky. Yeah. What's your own story? What is your pathway to the Park Service? Uh, well, you know, I grew up going to museums and uh, parks with my parents, and then my first plan was I was going to be a visual designer. I was going to, you know, design advertising. Mm. And uh, as soon as I got to art school and uh, got involved in art history classes and realized that that was a pathway to working in museums, which I'd always enjoyed visiting, I decided that, that that's what I wanted to do. And then um, I, I got my first job at Heritage Museum and Gardens. Mm on Cape Cod, and I worked in the education department, so at that time I was the advocate for for the visitor. Uh, and while I was there, I became interested in decorative arts. So I went back and got a, um, a master's degree at the Winneter program at the University of Delaware. Uh, I also studied at Tufts University in museum studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I was um, thinking about uh, my next step after graduate school, I, I thought I'd like to work for the Park Service because it's it's not a four walls museum that these are mm. big dynamic places not only do they have cultural resources but they have natural resources they have horse corrals right, they have right. highways and lodges what engages you the most about working for the Park Service uh, for me uh, the the most exciting thing uh, is to get people engaged with our resources, having those aha moments, getting as close to the resources as possible. So what's your favorite national park? I was afraid you'd ask that. <laughs> <laughs> people always ask me what my favorite museum is. Yeah, I yeah. I, I have a couple favorites. Um, I'd have to say that Shenandoah National Park mm. is, is my favorite, which strikes people as odd because it's largely a, a, a natural mm. park. Uh, but I can remember uh, visiting there with my parents as a kid. Um, you know, that's a reason that we should make sure that kids make it to museums yeah. and parks at an early age because they are impressionable. Going down Skyline Drive, having the, the leafy trees reaching over. Um, and then also, I spent a great deal of time working at Shenandoah early in my career. Mm. Uh, where we were trying to um, increase the cultural resources program. Right. Uh, so I did research at Herbert Hoover's fishing camp Mm. and then we uh, spread out across the country to find objects to repopulate the camp so that people could go there and see it as it was furnished Mm. um, during Herbert Hoover's time Uh, so that is a favorite Um, I also love uh, St. Gaudens which is uh, the former home of uh, uh, artist Augustus St. Gaudens up in Cornish, New Hampshire. It's just a, a jewel of a park. Um, it, not only does it have his house with his things inside, but there are also uh, there's his studio filled with his uh, sculptures, and then there are sculptures throughout the grounds. It's just a, a truly beautiful place to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here in Lowell, you celebrate the nature of work quite a bit and that's something that we're talking about a lot on museum people um how work is transforming and changing uh, over the course of time you know what happened here in Lowell was really the first time that females entered the workforce in any sort of uh, significant manner and the fact that we as a museum field are mostly female do you strike any parallels or is there any resonance with what happens here and 
what you think is happening in our field today? I think it is exciting that uh, Lowell has that um, that female component to it, the the mill girls, um, and, and they were not just widgets in this big system, but they they were pushing back at times. Mm. You know, as as the mills were trying to I- increase their profits by increasing the the amount of money that these women had to pay for their boarding houses or decreasing wages you know that they felt empowered that they could push back um yeah it's it's interesting to think of it as a parallel to the museum field because you know they they were going to jobs and producing Mm. and and our 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 the, the nature of our work is is different do you feel as though over the course of your career as a female working in the Park Service, that you are supported? I, I have received tremendous support throughout my entire career. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I've been very fortunate that each time that I thought, well, maybe I need to go sell insurance or maybe I should go you know, work in medical billing, that um, somebody has has given me the job that I needed to mm. continue in the field. Um, and, and working for the Park Service, um, you know, my, my colleagues have been largely women or um, those who haven't have been very supportive. Um, I, I think that it's a very liberal-minded, uh, at least in, in my experience, um, organization. Do you have mentors? I do. Um, yeah, there, there are a couple of women. You, you do. You need those people when you start thinking, am I on the right path? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, where, where, where should I go next? The, the, those are kind of the touchstone people to make sure that, that right. I'm you know, doing the right things and, and, and feeling that I'm doing the yeah. right things. What's the future hold for you? Are you a superintendent someday? Uh, that is my, my, my goal. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, federal hiring being what it is, uh, you, you really do, it, it's like a dual process where your application has to get through human resources, even to be on a list mm-hmm. for the hiring uh, official to see. So it, there's this um, making sure that you've got all of the right qualifications to make sure that you get in front of that hiring Official. So the process, uh, you know, typically uh, it's a combination of knowing somebody and having the right qualifications. Is it the same here, or knowing people is less of a concern? Uh, no, it, I, I'd say that it's the same here. You, you yeah. certainly need to know people, um, and you also have to have. I, I think that the um, the expectation is broader, though. Uh, that. Uh, and it's especially tricky, I think, to go from being a curator to being a superintendent uh, because there's the expectation that you will have supervised a certain number of people. And as a curator, you might have had a lot of technical expertise and a lot of responsibility for money and contracts, uh, but maybe you haven't supervised many people. So you have Mm. to make sure uh, that you take on temporary assignments that allow you to have that experience on your resume. So is that what you're doing? That's what I have been doing, yeah. 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 And then also I've been trying to broaden my experience uh, beyond cultural resources to natural resources. Mm-hmm. So I've done some interesting work at Boston Harbor Islands with their uh, resource uh, chief. Right. You know, fighting invasive species and uh, collecting GPS data. Uh-huh. So. so what kind of skills do you think you still need to build in order to become a superintendent? Um, well, you know, I, I think 
Um, I'm close. Uh, areas that I'd like to work on are uh, working with facilities staff. Um, that's part of the reason that I'm interested in doing work here at Lowell, uh, because we have some uh, improvements that we need to make in collection storage, um, as far as our HVAC, um, you know, increasing security, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so interfacing with facilities, and also Lowell has um, law enforcement staff, mm-hmm. and um, I'd like to understand their viewpoint better right. and maybe do some ride-alongs with them as they're riding through the city. Um, I, I think that they have a different viewpoint and, and see different activity than I might see just as a person walking through the city. Right. Ken Burns called the park system America's best idea. Do you think that the park system gets enough support from Congress and the American public? Yeah, I think it might have been Wallace Stegner who said said that. (laughs) Ah, He was quoting him. I think he was. Yes, I I would agree that the national parks are are America's best idea. Um, And I I would love for the Park Service to have more uh, support. Um, Each year uh, there are new park units and not necessarily um, more funding to go with them. So we're dividing the same pie in more uh, ways. I'd say that the Park Service does the best that it can with the resources that it has. Uh, We do have a $12 billion maintenance backlog, Mm. uh, which I try not to become overwhelmed by that number. That's aggregated out of 412 different units. Um, (laughs) Don't don't take it personally. (laughs) It's not your job. uh, yeah, so I, I do wish that we got more support. Um, you know, we're a very small slice of, of that pie. We would like to get, um, say, the amount of money that they spend on one jet fighter would, right. would go so far for yeah, the Park Service. Yeah, right. What do you think the next hundred years has in store for the Park Service? I think about that a lot. Um, I've done a lot of work with historic house museums, and I have two children. They're 10 and 11, and I've taken them on house museum tours, and they they have grown up with a curator mother. They've been going to museums their whole lives, and even they are not engaged in those types of experiences. Uh, As much as they would have liked to tell me that they enjoyed their experience, they... I think people um, have always, but are, are becoming more demanding about um, having their needs met. Um, they want the information they want when they want it, and you know they, they don't necessarily want to be on a one-hour guided tour. Um, and so we need to be creative about uh, how um, about our security and also about our delivery, um, mm. so that we still provide those guided tours for those who are interested, and I probably will always be interested in guided tours, but also provide ways for other people to get through. You know, they, they still want to see the house. They still want to understand the, the, the crux of the story. Um, so how do we make that happen mm. for them? So I, I think that, that over the next hundred years, it's going to be um, changing our delivery systems. Also, some of the parks um, are are extremely crowded during peak times. Um, So being a little bit more creative, uh, as some parks are, about shuttle systems and, you know, how do we, um, you know, get people through the parks so that they can enjoy them, but also it's sort of like the time ticketing for blockbuster exhibits. Mm -hmm. You know, how can you stagger things so that everybody can get what they want but still enjoy the experience of being at that place? 
what is your greatest wish or fantasy for the park system? I, uh, my greatest wish at the moment, uh, and probably always will be, is, is for us to be as relevant as we can uh, to as many people as possible, um, rather than being places that we go to just on a special vacation or just when somebody comes to town and this was is where you're bringing your visitors, that parks are central to what people are doing and thinking. Um, you know, it's a place that you go to, you know, that that's where my book club is or or that that's where something difficult just happened and and this is where i'm going to go heal myself or just to um supply as many of those needs as we can so that we are within the community not something that's without the community and um, i I think that it is by being more central and relevant uh, that that's how we will build the support that we need to be successful in the future thank you laurel my pleasure The 100th anniversary, how does that make you feel being a a veteran? I love the anniversary. So my husband and I both worked for National Parks, and uh, we've been celebrating for the past year. Hmm. And we we wanted to go back to our parks, but I don't know. Your your home parks? Yeah. What's your home park? Well, I guess Sitka. But Alaska wasn't really in the cards this year. Yeah. His was in Oregon. Uh But uh, um, Salem seems more likely. Just a couple Same, of, yeah, that's doable. <laughs> um, but uh, Poor Longfellow across the street, yeah, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> I've I've been to a lot of the parks in the region, but he mm. hasn't been. I, I'm thinking of the phrase "America's best idea" that came out of the Ken Burns series. Laurel told me that it was Wallace Stegner that had actually <laughs> quoted it. Fair enough. But it, that sense of America's best idea, it is quintessentially American, our park system. I, I wish there would be more people that would be uh, supportive of them. But on the other hand, you don't want too many people actually going to them it's, it's <laughs> and destroying the, it's them. It's the usual <laughs> preservation versus access debate. Yeah. Um, there is, there's other concerns that uh, the park's attract um primarily white visitors right yeah. so that's a that's something that a lot of people are trying to overcome so that's an that's an issue we need to be aware of mm-hmm. and um creating our programs especially uh historical sites creating right. programs that attract all kinds of visitors yeah. especially from the local community right most people think of parks as just tourist attractions um longfellow's down the street from us and they do all sorts of great programming music and poetry readings etc mm-hmm. so they attract all sorts of kinds of people and locals and that's something park should be striving for. Project ahead to the next hundred years. What's the park service going to look like? What kind of sites and units do you think will be added to the the system? What's happening now that potentially would be a national park service site? The natural world is pretty well covered, right? Is it and though? I, don't I feel know. like maybe there's going to be a park in Florida that like used, this used to be Miami. <laughs> well. Yeah. Right? right. Yeah, could be. Global warming. Here's like take a put on your waders and climate walk change around what is, was South Beach. Is so it's it's such a it's it's an issue, obviously, and it's gonna be so much more of an issue for the National Park Service. People are gonna be flocking to these places mm-hmm. that that you know, you experience nature because they can't experience it where they are. The boat ride to Ellis Island will be twice as long. Right. <laughs> right. Anyway, about historic sites, hmm. um, I don't know. 
I think that so many of the current sites will take on new meeting, like Seneca Falls, right? right? Like these great sites where we can continue to build and interpret history in a new way. It's very exciting. Yeah. Let's hope we keep funding it. I think that the 100th anniversary is something really to celebrate, and I would encourage everyone to uh, to celebrate, as you suggest, Marika, locally with the, your park, whatever your, your park site happens to be, uh, to support it. And, of course, we museum people, I think, owe a debt of gratitude to the Park Service because they really have... Um, you know, created this environment where people do, in fact, love authentic stuff. You know, they, they communicate that history is important, probably more effective than many of us do, and we all benefit from that as the museum profession. So, Well, listeners, go see your favorite parks, hashtag museum people, hashtag find your park. All right. See ya. Next time on Museum People. We're seeing lots of these little institutions struggle and disappear as a result, and then we have to figure out what to do with them. Actually, I think sometimes historians make the best futurists. I can hear applause out there. Yay! (laughs) That's going to my grant proposal. (laughs) Because when you think about it, nonprofit governance is pretty weird in its very basis. You took me down a path there. I don't know where we were going. This is not a linear conversation. I don't understand. Are we in the same room? What's going on? (laughs) Museum People is a production of the New England Museum Association, which connects, inspires, and empowers cultural institutions to provide their communities with deep and authentic experiences. Have an idea or comment for Museum People? Go to nemanet.org slash museumpeople to provide feedback, get information about episodes, and learn how to subscribe. Thanks for listening. Thank you.